passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 166 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fight news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Training camps are around the corner, and Bet Online has you covered for odds for team wins, division futures, and of course, Early action for the Super Bowl. So head to the website and use your mobile device. Sign up today and get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts with that said episode 166. For the love of the game, let's get this work. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 166 for the love of the game with yours truly, ATH, back in the studio, back behind the mic, and we are at the MLB All-Star break. Home Run Derby is tonight. We're recording on a Monday afternoon, and the sports calendar, if I said last week, was quiet. Well, this week is very, very quiet. I mean, baseball has a break. I'm not a home run derby guy anymore like uh, if I'm not in front of my tv with nothing else on I'm not gonna watch I I won't be watching tonight all-star game doesn't really do it for me either I am excited for the documentary on Derek Jeter that airs tonight on ESPN that should be awesome Derek Jeter is my favorite New York athlete of all time I mean that's my childhood right there so I'm looking forward to that but yeah In terms of live sports, this week is a slow, slow week. But going into the All-Star break, uh, the New York Yankees. So they had two terrible losses against the Reds. I mean, we had the Clay Holmes meltdown, just a bad series against the bad team. And you were nervous a little bit, a little bit that there was going to be a hangover going into the Red Sox series. Now, the Yankees 
have a sizable lead in the AL East, especially going into the last weekend. They were up like 14 games on the Red Sox. But you didn't want the the hangover or the lingering effects of a bad series against a bad team to manifest itself against the Red Sox. I know the Yankees have a big lead, as I mentioned, but you didn't want them to play sloppy going into the All-Star break. And that was kind of a, a small fear in the minds of Yankee fans. Not a major fear, not a cause for concern, because again, in a long season, you're going to go through stretches where you don't play good baseball. And especially considering how much distance the Yankees have in between them and the next best team in the American League, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. It's it's natural, right? So lose two straight against the Reds, bad team. Could have won both games, just whatever. It's fine. You didn't want to see them let up against the Red Sox. Then Friday night happens where the Yankees lose an extra innings and it's just like, oh my God, we can't get runs in from third base with one out to win the game. Just brutal, absolutely brutal. And Yankee fans are getting real nervous. I mean, not really nervous, but they're getting nervous a little bit. They're just like, here we go again. The Red Sox are going to make a statement. They've beaten us in the wild card game. They've beaten us in the postseason. And then Saturday and Sunday happens. And it was an absolute beatdown. Aaron Judge, who was in a slump, terrible slump. I mean, over like a 10-game stretch, he was hitting under 200. Well, he woke up in a big way, had, I think, three or four home runs over the weekend series. Matt Carpenter continues to be a revelation. Another monster series from him. And the Yankees end up winning both games in big fashion, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday was 14-1. to Sunday was 13-2. to It was really good to see Garrett Cole dominate the Red Sox, especially getting Rafael Devers out. I love the fact that he pitched inside in that first at-bat in the first inning. First pitch. Throw one inside, and it was at the knees, it was clean, it was to brush him off the plate because Devers has had his number for a while now, and it was time to show Devers, like, hey, man, you're not going to just stand up there and take hacks, especially after Devers went yabo in the first inning against Jamison Tyone, who pitched brilliantly against the Red Sox. So it was really good to see the Yankees put a beat down on the Red Sox, like a really major beat down and kind of quash the small fears in Yankee land going into the all-star break. And after Friday night, you thought the tenor of the feeling of Yankees fans would feel a little differently, but now all things are good. All things are good. We are looking forward to the second half of the season. I'm interested to see what they do at the trade deadline. I think they got to be all in. Go get whoever you need to get. And let's go win this World Series because this team has special written all over it. I mean, 64 and 28. 13 games up on Tampa. Now 16 and a half up on the Red Sox. It's go time. It's a special group. It's time to get going. Push your chips in the middle of the table and go win a World Series. As for the Mets, a great first half for the Mets. And what's crazy about the Mets' first half is that they are 58 and 35. They are 23 games over 500. And Mets fans are kind of nervous because the Braves, who didn't look like they'd be in the picture early on, well, now they're just two and a half back. I mean, 
it, it's kind of very Metsian for them to have a historic first half of the season and the Braves to be right back in it, but that's where the Mets are. But the Cavalry's coming back. Scherzer's back for the Mets. He was great in his first start. DeGrom should be back for the series against the Yankees, which should be absolutely electric. I mean, New York baseball, have yourself a season. So, yeah, all's good at Metsland. I mean, they're 6-4 and four in their last 10. Things are looking up. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of moves the Mets do at the deadline. It's another team that's got World Series aspirations. Go get your guys. Go get reinforcements and try and take this thing home. Really good time for New York baseball right now. Really, really exciting. So no news right now with the New York Knicks. They're still pursuing Donovan Mitchell, and there's going back and forth, haggling back and forth over picks, over young players. The bottom line is this, all right? The bottom line is this. Since 1990, the Knicks have had three guards make an all-star team. Mark Jackson, John Starks, Allen Houston made it twice. And if you want to count Luttrell Sprewell as a guard, he made it once in 2001. All right. The Knicks haven't had good guard play in a long, long time. Donovan Mitchell is a top 15 player in the NBA. I know that there's been slander on Twitter. Stop it. Just stop it. Okay. Enough is enough. Donovan Mitchell is a major difference maker. And is he a quote unquote one on a championship team? Well, according to all these guys in the media, there's only like four or five guys in the entire league that are considered ones on a championship team, all right? You know what Donovan Mitchell is? Awesome. He's 25 years old. He wants to be in New York. So the New York Knicks, stop pussyfooting around and get the deal done, okay? Get it done. You already committed to Jalen Brunson? Get the deal done. There's no excuse now. There's no excuse. They have the full trove of picks. If R.J. Barrett has to be in the deal, and I maintain that if a trade's going to get done, he's going to be a part of it, do it already. Do it. And there are rumors I saw that if the Knicks are able to trade for Donovan Mitchell, which I anticipate them being able to do, but this is going to go back and forth a little bit because that's just the nature of these negotiations, the way Danny Ainge works. If they're able to do this, I saw Mark Stein write about on his Substack that there's an idea for the Knicks trading for Russell Westbrook to get off the contracts of Julius Randle, Evan Fournier, and some of the long-term deals. Again, Russ hasn't been good. He's got $44 million, one year left on the deal. If I'm the Knicks, I jump at this. I absolutely jump at this. Not because I think Russell Westbrook can contribute to the Knicks next year. That's not what this is, okay? It's taking on a bad contract, buying him out, and getting off of Randall's long-term money, getting off of Fournier's long-term money. That's what it should be about. It should be about Brunson. It should be about Mitchell. It should be about getting Obi top in big minutes and clearing the long-term cap space that you have flexibility to build around those guys and try and make some noise, all right? Is it a guaranteed title team? No, but it's interesting. You're in the mix. Try and make some noise. So New York Knicks, get it done. Leon Rose, stop pussyfooting around. Get it done. The picks that you're giving up won't be that valuable if you're picking in the 20s, all right? R.J. Barrett, as much as I like him, and I like him, and I know a lot of people say I don't like him, but 
if it means getting Donovan Mitchell, I don't think R.J. Barrett's ceiling is anywhere near Donovan Mitchell's ceiling as a player. I just don't. I just don't. It's a feeling I get. And R.J. Barrett, for sure, is not going to be able to reach that ceiling when he's playing next to Mitchell and Brunson with them getting a lot of the ball handling duties. So it's a cost of doing business. That's what it is. So it's time. It's time, New York Knicks. Get the deal done. One last thing before we go on to tonight's guest. We're going to talk about the Yankees a little bit. First half, Yankees previewing the second half. And we're going to have a follow-up to last week's conversation about the Bachelorette. One last thing. NBA Twitter. All right? NBA Twitter. Y'all need to stop, man. You need to just take a break sometimes. All right? I don't want to be. I don't want to hear about the Drew League and like, because LeBron James played in the Drew League and showed out. I don't want to hear about it. It doesn't mean squadouche, okay? For all intents and purposes, I could play in the Drew League, all right? So LeBron putting up numbers in the Drew League doesn't do much for me. It doesn't tell me that he's going to be awesome in year 20, which I actually think he's going to be because I've said a lot of negative things about LeBron over the years. I've had a lot of critiques, but the fact of the matter is the guy stays in shape. The guy is always working on his game, and I commend him for that. But to prove your point that LeBron has a certain standing in the league still going into his 20th season because of some Drew League highlights, like, get out of my face. Get out of my face. Take some time off, and until the next domino is moved in a trade or something, if there's a Donovan Mitchell trade, NBA Twitter, you can perk back up. If Kevin Durant ends up getting traded, which looks more and more like he won't, same with Kyrie Irving. You can perk back up. But get this drooling shit out of my face, all right? I don't want to see it on the timeline. It doesn't matter. It's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. Anyway, with that said, we're going to talk about the Yankees and what we see going forward. with The recurring is, uh, as I just mentioned, then we're going to talk a little Bachelorette in just a matter of moments. All right, we're heading into MLB All-Star break. The sports calendar is at a major lull right now, but the Yankees just came off a monster two days against the Boston Red Sox at home, winning by the score of 14-1 to and then 13-2. to So I had to bring them on now that it's All-Star break to talk about the Yankees going into the second half of the season. Mr. Andrew Sender, he's back. How's it going, bud? How you doing? Everything's good. Just came off a long weekend in Cape Cod. I don't know why, but every year I go, the Yankees are always playing the Sox and all the bars. You know, it's tough. It's a hard look to see all the Red Sox fans there, but, you know, huge two games. You know, I got a little nervous after Friday night, but really good way to go into the break. So let, let's start there, right? Obviously, the Yankees are 64-28. and 28. They're having this historic first half that you and I both did not see coming. I for sure did not see it coming. I'll be the first to admit. You know, they got this monster lead. They're up 13 games on the Rays. They're now up, I think, 16 games on the Red Sox after this past weekend. But they had that road trip where they went 5-5, five and five, you know, scuffling a little bit. I mean, it's a baseball season. That's what happens, right? It's 162 games. You're going to see scuffle. And then they have that brutal two games against the Reds. Absolutely brutal against a bad team at home. And on the – you know, with the Red Sox coming into town – like you were a little nervous, right? You're a little, a little uneasy about the team. And then after the Friday night game where they lose in extra innings and could have won it seven different ways going into Saturday, 
where were your feelings like then? And obviously, given the results Saturday and Sunday, how much more at ease are you now? Well, I just got a little nervous because, you know, you look at last week and then that Friday night to me was clear. I just kept thinking, this is their back. The old Yankees are back where we leave a thousand runners on base. We lose to bad teams. And then when we lose to a good team, we had 8,000 chances to win it, but we didn't. And I was just like thinking like, oh my God, like there's still so much baseball left. Tampa's finally starting to catch their stride. And we still got two games against Boston. Cole's on the mound. Like Tyone's on the mound. Like, what are we, like, what are we doing? Like, this is just going to end poorly. I, I, you know, I'm just thinking we're going to get swept going into the all-star break after losing a series to the Reds. This is just awful. But you know what? This team is different. They just are. They, the next day they come out after bat, after the bats being pretty much garbage all week, they put up a 14 spot. So, you know, but yeah, I was a little nervous after Friday night, I will say. I mean, nobody has embodied the Yankees season like Aaron Judge, right? So Judge is having that mo- the unbelievable first half. Then he goes into like a, this is like a 10-game slump where he's hitting about 200, can't get big hits. It's just like, what the hell's happening here? The Yankees scuffle. And then against the Red Sox, he goes, you know, he turns it around, gets hot, which unfortunately for him, the all-star break comes now because he's on an absolute tear, hits, what was it, like three home runs this this past series and go, goes absolute crazy. And, like, all things are well in Yankee land again. Yeah, no, I mean, he needed it, you know. I think also he needed a, a spark. The last, like, I want to say, like, three weeks before this Boston series have been a little little bit – Not, I guess not three weeks, like two weeks. have been a little dead, you know, like some – you know, some bad teams starting with like, oh, like a one game in Houston and then some bad teams and like the Fenway series. Yes. But like, I mean, the Red Sox are 15 games back. Like that's not there, there's no nerves in there. You know, I think he needed a little bit of a spark to really feel the games out. And I mean, look, he got I think it was a big hit. I think it might have been against the Reds like early on. Finally got like a home run after like a 10 game drought or something. And I, I just yeah. think he. He needed that. And look, you know what? The all-star break this year for the Yankees is only like three days, I think. I think they play on Thursday. Well, yeah, they have they have the doubleheader right out yeah. of the break because of the strike where they kind of had to make up games. It was – yeah, they yeah, kind of so, got I mean, screwed. It's a doubleheader against the Astros. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could think of it as them getting screwed. But, like, I guess for me, you just won two straight games with 13 and 14 runs. I want to play, you know, like these guys, they, they get enough breaks with the, the sitting, no matter who's on the mound, no matter what team we're playing, they get enough breaks. Like no one's going to hit 155 games this year or hundred, like 150 is going to be like the max for the Yankees this year, which is like absurd. But look, you know, you get three days off now and look, judge is going to play in the all-star game. He's starting and you know, he'll get some at-bats against some good pitchers. Obviously it's not, real game speed, but it's still, you know, the same guys are throwing as hard as they would in a regular season game. So he'll get some at bats. And I, I just hope he stays hot because his last like 25 games before this Boston series were pretty rough. I think he was under 200. So he needs a little bit of a spark, but you know, I just want to get back to playing baseball. 
Speaking, of, I want to talk about Aaron Judge in a second. Um, but speaking of of home runs, so this Matt Carpenter thing. How fun is this? And has it gotten to the point where you have to play him in the outfield every day? For you? Oh, you have no, you have no choice, no choice. As long as Joey Gallo is being Joey Gallo, you, you can't. You just can't. Because you know what? I will take some defensive lapses from Carpenter if he's going to hit 330 and have a home run every two, three games. You know, like, like how could you not? And look, this guy's a veteran. He's done it before. Like, Joey Gallo has never played in pressure. This is like Matt Carpenter has won a World Series. You know, like this is this means something to me. Like this team, they don't have a ton of experience other than like Rizzo. Well, that, that's why it. Rizzo is so incredibly important to this team. Besides for, you know, the productions there, obviously he's hitting like 230. But the power numbers are there. But it's all the little stuff that Rizzo does, whether it's yeah. the defense, whether it's settling pitchers on the mound, like you saw the uh, that night when, um, oh, my God, Clay Holmes was about to, you know, he had his meltdown, which – happens to relievers from time to time. And then all of a sudden it looked like it was going to go round two of the meltdown and Rizzo kind of put an end to it, like settles him down. Like Rizzo has been, been a godsend for this team. Yeah, no Rizzo is what Joey Gallo should have been, you know, like hit home runs and get big hits. Joey Gallo is on the absolute opposite of that. So Look, Rizzo, obviously, you'd like to see the average up, but he still puts up phenomenal at-bats. I love that he chokes up with the two strikes, and he knows what's going on. You could tell his swing gets smaller late in games when there's runners on. He's just yep. trying to poke it out there, and it's why he's, like, top three on the team in RBIs. You know, he shouldn't be when you're hitting 230, but it's just, you know, he's a smart baseball player. It's every big, big moment that he gets hits. Like... All right, if the game's like 14 to 1 or whatever, like, okay, will he give away in that bat? Sure. Like, like okay, fine. But it's all the big moments where he comes through. And But this Carpenter thing's incredible. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, he has to play right field, right? You can – and you can move him around. You can DH him when you have to uh, because – but he, need, he needs to play every day at this point. Like, ride this until it – it goes away if it ever goes away. Like, I, I don't want to see Donaldson getting so many at-bats at the expense of Carpenter. I, I You know, obviously we like Stanton playing the outfield. Uh, Judge is playing way more center field than we'd like, but he's handled himself well. Carpenter has to play basically every day. Yeah, Find no, a place. I mean you could also put him in the infield, put him at first base, like put Torres a second IKF at short and LeMay at third. Like I agree with you. I think D Josh Donaldson has had way too big of a leash. Like he has not been well, good. because He's going to be on the team next year also because of his contract. Of course. But look at some point, you know, in a big game against a, a against a pitcher who is primarily off speed, I don't really want to, I don't know if I want to see Josh Donaldson in the lineup. He can't hit off speed. He only can hit high fastballs. Joey Gallo, on the other hand, obviously is the opposite. So you can play around with that type of stuff, you know, like, and look, Josh Donaldson's a great defender, but LeMay, who does 
also a perfectly fine job at third base. So yeah. we shouldn't be thinking like, oh, we need a third baseman. We need Josh Allen to play. No, you can put LeMayu there and have a, once again, a great lineup. Like you don't, you don't need a. Oh, because Glaber Torres just turned around his season where we thought he was going to be like a DFA candidate. And now he was like a borderline all-star. He's been incredible. Yeah, I just think he's the pressure's off him with the fielding, you know, like he can just do his thing at second base. And look, he was always a good second baseman. Like the years prior when he was playing second base as a young kid, he he looked great. He would flash the leather all the time. So I think that's just off his mind. And look, he's changed his approach. He's not taking those massive hacks anymore. Like he's just trying to play the gap to gap player, which he came up as. So it's awesome to see him bounce back this year because he's such an important piece to this team. Like he really is. So, yeah, I mean, everything is kind of kind of good around the infield. He kind of got screwed. Not that like, yeah, the all-star game is like a little flawed, obviously. But like he kind of got screwed in a sense where he should have gotten the Altuve spot when Altuve went out with an injury. But whatever. Fine. Water under the bridge. <laughs> uh, going into the um, the second half of the year, obviously trade deadlines coming up. Um, You know. You're prioritizing a starting pitcher, right? Especially given the Severino injury. No, you're not. What would no. you prioritize if you're going after a target? A reliever. We need we really? need relievers. Yeah. Starters, because look, I mean, at the end of the day, once you get to the postseason, you need four guys. And I think out of these five guys, especially with people like Clark Schmidt, um, Sears, like these guys have been great. Clarkman and JP Sears, whenever they're up, they've been awesome. So if you can find four starters out of seven guys, you're good for the postseason. You know, like you'll eat a bad start once in a while in the postseason. You just you do. It's gonna happen. You're gonna have to throw someone out there. But if you can get four solid dudes, you're you're good. And the Yankees can get that out of their out of their choice of seven. And I just think the relievers are worn out. You know, like they've been working hard. You can see yeah. Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes is losing the zone. And that's that is getting a little concerning because as a closer, the last thing you want to do is lose the zone. You know, like it's the worst thing to walk batters in a ninth inning. It just is because you just the pressure, it's just there. And then you lose confidence. You give up a hit, a ground ball. Fine. You can bounce back. Let's say you made a great pitch and you gave up that hit because they all right, I made a good pitch. But if you're walking guys, especially the way he has been doing them, just spiking them into the ground way outside, way up. Like he has no control over the sinker. That's more concerning to me. So I want another arm. doesn't need to be a high leverage guy. I just think it needs to be someone who can, you know, give us innings, some high leverage, almost like a Lucas Licky type guy, just to help our guys rest up. Well, you, you don't think a guy like Castillo on the Reds monster starter who would come in would preserve the bullpen a little bit. With you Ideally, know, like he would take innings off of Wandy Peralta, you take innings off of Michael King, like he because he could give you length. No, you're right. Like I, I agree. A guy like that would be nice, but there's also it's a big package, you know, like you're gonna have to give up a lot. And I don't really know if I want to give up a lot right now because there's a Why? lot you're of you're all in. This team is no. 64 and 28. It it doesn't matter. They don't they don't need to go all in. Is the point. You know, like they like with the with the unknown with Aaron Judge, I'd rather save prospects like that to see what happens in the offseason. And this comes to Juan Soto. If Judge goes to San Francisco, 
you empty out the farm system for Juan Soto, and now you're back in. Like there's like nothing even happened because if you go out and let's say you give up a guy like Peraza to get Castillo, that's one less trade piece you have to go get a guy like Soto. And if Judge leaves, now you're really screwed because then you have nothing. Okay, but all right. So so let's all right. Let's go there. All right. So the Judge contract. I personally don't think they're going to let him leave the Yankees over their history. When they have a guy that they want or they want to keep, they don't let him walk. But in an alternate universe, and you just brought up Juan Soto, and I think that the Yankees have a deep enough farm system that they could absorb, you know, they could trade for Castillo and trade for Juan Soto and have enough enough in the tank. But if you had to. And again, this is like, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if you had to trade straight up Juan Soto, um, I should say Aaron Judge for Juan Soto, would you do it? And then I also add in the caveat of Shohei Otani, because Otani's contract is up. They, you know, the Angels are an absolute dumpster fire. They're already paying trout huge money they're paying anthony rendon huge money they don't win any games otani's basically making five million dollars a year you can't imagine that the angels are going to go spend more big money just to stink so he's going to be gone would you trade aaron judge for shohei otani um yeah but it's only because otani's a lefty you know like if it, if otani was a righty i don't think i would because I just think, you know, those like him with the pitching and the hitting. Yeah, it's nice, but, you know, he's going to need 40 plus million a year, probably even more because he does both. And I don't really want to pay a guy that much money, but like Soto, for sure, I would trade him for Judge Soto is the best player in baseball. And, you know, I can argue about that all day. The guy just oh, no, hold on. Right? Otani's the best player in baseball. He's a plus starter and a plus hitter. What are we talking about? No, no. I'd, I'd rather have Soto than Otani. Yeah, I think I would. I mean, look, Soto, let's, I mean, let's just go back three years ago. Soto was the, like, the head honcho on a World Series team. And Soto is what twenty four, I think. Soto no, he's, is a, he's all, I think he was even younger. He's a, than he's that. a he's child. Otani has never played in pressure. And let's just go back to the times that he has played in pressure. He has gone rocked at Yankee Stadium, rocked. This guy doesn't play in pressure games. He's never been in a postseason game. Soto has won a World Series. Soto is responsible for winning a World Series. The guy raked against Justin Verlander, like. How could you not like a dude like this? And he does everything right. There's no flaws in this guy's game. And he's so young. He's he's like the best. I love him. I really do. Oh, he's, I can he's watch awesome. him all day. He's awesome. Uh, I, I would love for there to be a world where the Yankees end up with an outfield of Aaron Judge, Stanton, and Juan Soto. That would be pretty sweet. But, yeah, no. I Ultimately, do you think the Judge contract gets done? Every day, I, I I see the possibility. It's just, I don't I don't think so. I just don't. I I really? it just doesn't add. It doesn't add up. Because you look at Soto, 
look at Soto with all these denying contracts and everything. They're offering bags of money for this guy. And look, the Yankees don't want to have a high AAV. They just don't. They're not willing to do it because they see what like what happens when you do it with position players, especially guys who are in their 30s. It really doesn't work out too well. So I, I, I don't know. I think the Yankees are going to give him a nice deal, like, you know, 35 million for six, seven years, but they're not going to go to that 40 mark, which I think a judge is looking for. And he deserves it. I mean, he's, but I don't think, I don't think any owners are going to the 40 mark anymore. Oh, I think, I think the giants will. Oh, I I've been on the giants since the beginning of the season. I, I, the giants have so much money and they and they can, they can win if they get a guy like judge. And even if they pay him $40 million a year for eight years, they can win. That team's ready to go. They just need one, one real hitter. And look, Judge is a California guy. It scares me. I don't think they're going to do it. I think, you know, look, and you said, like, they don't let go guys who they really want. The last person that we had this conversation about was Robinson Cano. And Yeah, but they didn't want to pay Cano. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't want to keep him. But they, they clearly, like, they don't want to pay Judge. They, they, they no, were trying I to offer that- him $17 million in arbitration. You're going to tell me Aaron Judge is worth $17 million? Well, I think arbitration they, they, should be 30. <laughs> I mean, well, no, that's not the, the but that's not the rules of arbitration. That's no, not the I way know. the rules work. I think they settled on 19. They split the difference. They, they split it, but I think that was Judge just saying, I don't want to deal with this garbage. Let's just play baseball. 19 million, 21 million. There's no difference. You know, like it's not going to well, change. I heard, I, I heard Michael Kay say that Judge basically said, that he's willing to talk during the year, which was something that he never mentioned before. So I, I think he was going to end up staying. I would love for, you know, to have Juan Soto on the team. I, I It's crazy that it looks like if you look at the trade candidates for Juan Soto, like the Yankees and the Mets are kind of like at the top of the top of the chart in terms of teams that are, best equipped to go get the guy, which for New York baseball is pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I actually just saw something. I mean, his top choice, which makes no sense at all, is the Texas Rangers. <laughs> Don't know why, but they, there's a list of it that he made and like leaked out or something. So the Rangers are number one. They did say, though, that the Yankees are higher than the Mets, which is funny because the Mets are more of a fit for him. They like they need an outfielder. So I don't know how that's going to work. Look, whoever can give up the most, you know, I think the Yankees have more than the Mets do. The Mets have better, but the Mets don't have the same um, quantity that the Yankees have. We have so many guys that are ready to just break through and are going to be amazing. I mean, we have like three shortstops that are going to be good. Right. Okay. Like, so who has that? <laughs> It's Volpe. It's the it's the other there, and there are two others. There are two it's others. It's Peraza so, and um, yeah, Peraza, Volpe, and one other guy. Yeah, there's some other. I think there's another person, but I mean, regardless, there's so many guys. Well, that's my that's my point, right? So that's why you can, if the Reds ask for one of those dudes, you know, you try you try and you know give up one of them for for Castillo, right? And then you have the other one package for Soto. And then you don't have to prioritize shortstop so much. You can live with IKF hitting 280 with zero home runs and, you know, occasional errant throws. But at that point, you know, the lineup is so stacked, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, I just I don't think they'll do Castillo. I just don't think it makes sense. You have five starters, and look, the Yankees have made it very clear there are three guys in the farm system that they are not moving, and it's the three best players. It's Dominguez, Volpe, and Wadachuk. They've made it clear they are not moving those three guys. And look, if they you want to make a trade for them for Juan Soto right now, me a hundred percent. The only one who I wouldn't move is Dominguez. Dominguez, no chance. This kid is too young, too good, and he's just getting better and better every day. Volpe, yes, I could live because at shortstop, it's not as important to have a hitter. Besides for Aaron Judge, who was the last big prospect that panned out for the Yankees? Besides Aaron Judge, I mean, Severino has been pretty good. Right, well, he got hurt. Yeah, he got, He's been hurt. I mean, look, Robinson Cano. That's that's really the last one I can honestly think of where it was like guy came up through the Yankees and was great. You know, everyone else has kind of been spotty. Like, look, Severino has been spotty. You know, he hasn't been amazing. And this whole team, I mean, Torres, but he's not homegrown. We got him from the Cubs. It was, so. it was in the Chapman trade. Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, no, you're right. I, I don't. I mean, other than Judge, I think it's just Cano. At least which in, which is why, which is why. I would trade all those guys, you know, for the likes of Castillo, who's proven to be awesome on the major league level and for a guy like Juan Soto. So, okay. So looking forward to Yankees second half, what are some things you don't want to see in the second half? Just like, I don't want to see this. No, thank you. Joey Gallo. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Uh, so know, he's like, number one. Who's number two? Number- Who's number two who I don't want to see? I mean, I don't want to. It's, it's all Joey Gallo. Like, honestly, like, like, look, Hicks is fine by himself. Hicks he started Gallo, to get hot a little bit. Like, he but started Hicks to and turn Gallo around. Is, uh, is a no-go, you know? Like, everything revolves around Gallo because he's been the only problem on this team. Yes, IKF's fielding has been a little bit of an issue, but he has made some spectacular plays. So he's made up for some of those errors. Like... Gallo has been the only problem, like the only real issue. Donaldson, yes, has been a problem. Fielding has been good. He's a clubhouse presence. Joey Gallo is silent. This guy doesn't bring anything to the team other than being Italian. Terrible. Yeah, other than being Italian, that's the only thing he brings to the team. Like, I don't I don't want to see him. Trade him for a bag of chips. Honestly, I don't care. Just he's a cancer to the clubhouse. He's taking away time from guys like Carpenter. Just get out of here. I don't want to see you again. Yeah, no, I agree. I No more Gallo. I'd like to see Donaldson be a bit player. Uh, I'd like their infield to be LeMayu at third, IKF um, at short. I, I'd like to see, you know, Glaber Torres, you know, get most of the uh, most of the starts at second base, moving LeMayu to third, Rizzo at first. I'd like to see Carpenter and Wright. I'd like to see uh, Aaron Hicks. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'd like to see uh, Carpenter, DH, uh, Judge and Wright, Hicks in center, Stanton in left, and uh, away we go. That would be nice. Yeah, no, that's – I mean, look, that's the A lineup. You know, it sucks that Donaldson, who's going to pay $25 million a year, has to be on the bench for that, but – the A lineup is having LeMahieu at third and then Carpenter as the DH, or you could put Judge as the DH, like Stan as a DH. Like you can move around, guys. You can move those outfielders can pretty much all move around. So 
you know, but yeah, Donaldson on the bench and having all those other guys in, that's definitely the A lineup that needs to be played on game one, unless something dramatic happens. But that needs to be the lineup for game one of a, of a, of a series. Let me ask you one last question um, before we get out of here. Garrett Cole, uh, another really nice, nice season. Been awesome. I think he gets undue crap with the Yankee fan about the big games, but it's been a thing, right? Obviously, going after Devers the way he did in the first inning yesterday, uh, throwing inside, clean, right at the knees, brushed him off the plate, Devers then struck out, right? This is this kind of stuff you want to see. Are you still, does he still make you a little nervous, though, in big spots? It's just Fenway. That's it. It's Fenway. There's no other ballpark, other scenario where I'm nervous. It's Fenway. He's something about it. And look, every pitcher has it. There's some place that they can't pitch. Garrett Cole cannot throw in Fenway. He just, he can't figure it out. I mean, look, even his last start, he was lights out, but couldn't get two, Devers out. Two bombs get him to out. Devers, yeah. You know, like, but that's just how it's been. He hasn't, you know, it hasn't been like, oh, he's given up 8,000 hits. It's just, there's always someone who figures him out in Fenway Park. And look, that's, you know, look, if it's game one in Fenway, I'm still starting Garrett Cole. He's still the ace. He's still our dude. But do I feel a little nervous? A hundred percent, you know. If that, in that scenario, would you intentionally walk Devers every time he gets to the plate? Because I would a hundred percent. I was shocked they even threw to him yesterday. I'm like, you have one out in the first inning. Just walk him. Get out of the first inning with no runs. Just walk him. But you know what? That first pitch, yes, all the Yankee fans want to think that he's going after. He overthrew the pitch. You could see the way um, Trevino reached for or Higgy, whoever was behind the play. He overthrew it. Was it great? Yes, I love that. Go after him. Make but him that, feel uncomfortable. You have to do it a certain. You got to do it. Yeah, killing you your entire career. You know. And again, I, I'm not for throwing at guys, right? Because I think that's dirty, right? And the way he did it was perfect because it's not in the back, it's not at the head, it's not above the shoulders. It was by the knees. He can get out of the way. Perfect. But yeah, yeah. I, I was also. Thinking that, like, just walk the guy. Same thing on Saturday when Tyone was pitching. And, you know, first ball, the guy goes Yahtzee. I'm just like, why are we pitching to the guy anymore? Just stop enough already. But, yeah, no, no. I don't he, think he owns gonna, I don't think they're going to have an issue with the Red Sox. So the Cole thing in the playoffs I don't think is going to be an issue. I, I still – Houston does make me nervous, and the the whole goal for the second half of the year, as great as the they've, you know, as great of a first half as they've had, is Houston's only four games back in terms of home field advantage for that potential game seven. So that's what they got to get done. Yeah, no, I agree. They like yes, the division is almost, you know, another ten games or so of the twelve games, and being up, you kind of win the division. You gotta get home field against Houston. You just, you need it. You just need it. You need to do it. You've never had it against them. It's about time we finish off a season where we are the best team in the American League and we can go into the playoffs with home advantage throughout the entire postseason because we play so well at home. So we just we need to we need to really work on that and get that done. 
It's going to be a fun second half. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks with the Derek Jeter documentary coming out for those of us who lived it. I mean, you're a little too young for this, but I lived it. This is, you know, he's my basically my favorite New York athlete ever. Yeah, it's going to be good times in Yankee land, and hopefully Andrew will catch a game in <laughs> August. One time, we're going to go. Get your dad to take us out to the stadium. We got to get him on the on the workout grind a little bit. I, I saw those Cape Cod <sighs> pictures. We got to get him back. You got to get him I, on the tennis court. I, I know, got him last night. He was... He was he was huffing and puffing after feeding me some balls for like thirty five minutes. Oh, so we gotta Meanwhile, gotta but, get him it, back out there. But but it's fine because he'll muster up the strength and the energy to kick my ass like he oh, always yeah. does. But, if it's uh, a if it's a competitive game, he's there and he's he's ready to go. It's good to chat. We'll obviously chat throughout the second half of the year like we always do, and uh, I'll speak to you soon, man. Thanks so much for doing it. Great, thank you, man. Later. I mentioned it last episode. We're bringing her back on for episode two recap of The Bachelorette. Lizzie Verstendig is back. Lizzie, a little bit more going on this episode, but not a whole heck of a lot. It's still really boring. No, I'm hoping that maybe they're just kind of slowly going to get interesting because right now it is still a little bit boring. Um, I think they've given us a little bit more to work with, but I'm hoping that there's so much more going on later that this is like a, a slow burn. What was your biggest takeaway from this episode? My biggest takeaway is that unfortunately I'm, I'm a bit nervous that the, a big focus of the season is going to be that all the guys like Gabby and not Rachel, and it's going to be really sad for her. That's, that's how I felt from this episode. I'm hoping that that's not what happens, but that's what they're, I felt they were trying to make us feel. All right, let's talk about Rachel because we spoke about it last week. I think it was reinforced this week. Like, Rachel right now is the big loser of the season. Yeah. I don't think it's close. We'll get into the Chris stuff in a second, but whatever. He, he's gone. Rachel's really the big loser. And I don't know why they're doing this to her. Like, she was the big loser on so many levels last night. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they really don't have no plan or had no plan going into the season and we're kind of like let's just throw everyone in a room like see what sticks and what happens and I think like this is how it's beginning to unfold like it seems like it was just they had no plan other than to say there's going to be two bachelorettes and everything else will stay the same and just kind of seeing what would happen and this this is what's happening and it's not great it's not I mean the the one-on-one -on -one that she had with Jordan, right? That was the name, Jordan? Yeah. It looked like it was going fine, but they made her look like a crazy person at dinner. Like legitimately a crazy, you don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think she was just very obviously, like she wanted to like him and she really thought he was great, but she just didn't feel any like chemistry with him, like romantic chemistry. And I think we've all been there and can relate to that. And I think, yes. I think that's all it was. I think it's weird because, you know, I think something is different that's happening in this season and others, especially when it's the bachelorette, that usually like the first person they take on a date is someone that they really are interested in we know they're really interested in and it seems kind of like yeah he was one of the people who said he was interested in her so she chose him but 
that was pretty much like all there was to their relationship at that point. And then so she basically like, what you're saying is like she chose him by default because no one else is like raising their hands to date her. I mean, like maybe I think she probably wanted to pick Tino, but they probably told her not to because it was obvious that she liked him. Um, I don't know. Like, I think it's very interesting this season because Gabby gave her first impression rose to Mario and it's, it's known they're like the history of the bachelorette almost every person that gets the first impression rose either wins or at least makes it to the top two and gabby didn't even i think like that gabby. streak by the way i think that streak is breaking this season oh for, that's what i'm saying like yeah. i don't i didn't even know if mario i know they tried to make it like that but gabby like didn't even talk to him this episode i didn't even know if he was gonna make it through the rose ceremony and that's just unheard of so i just think I think because there's only 30 some odd guys for two women, not, there's no real front runners other than Tino to Rachel. There's no real front. Like I have no idea who Gabby likes. Right. But all the guys like Gabby. A lot of them do, which like I get Gabby is definitely more a guy's girl. Well, she, she's just, she has, she seems more at ease with this. Like Rachel and they're making, maybe they're playing it off even more. Like Rachel looks like she's pressing, right? Rachel looks like, she, like this is like the most important thing in the world for her. And the weight of her shoulders is on every single interaction. And I saw that like tenfold in the dinner scene with Jordan. Like, I get it. We've all been there. We've been on dates. We've been in situations where the romantic chemistry wasn't there and you wanted it to be there and there was frustration. But like, this is like 10 years of disappointment all in like early on in a, in a one-on-one -on -one date. Like, come on. Like, it's yeah, not think, that hard. Yeah. I think Rachel is very traditional in the sense of she probably has watched The Bachelor, Bachelorette before. And I think when she thought of her being The Bachelorette, she had this like glorified kind of like princess, like she envisioned that it was going to be something that it isn't. And maybe it would have been if she was alone as The Bachelorette. But I think because of the way it's formatted this time, it's not going to be like that. And I think she's trying to force it in a way to be like that so when she's on a date on a one-on-one -on -one, she's like I'm the bachelorette and she's kind of like laser focused in that sense and I think she was just disappointed by the fact that she went on this date and it should have been amazing and she kind of felt nothing again but but it just seemed like it, it was so difficult for her to even like be on that date and it's just like they're like she has to understand like they're there for her you know, I mean, they're there for her and oh. Gabby, but they're oh, but they're there for her. Like, it's not that like she's being judged here. Like, again, they're trying to win her heart. Yeah, but that's the difference here. So when it's just the bachelor or just the bachelorette, um, the ball is completely in the bachelor or bachelorette's like court. But here, the guys really have a lot of control because they can say, yes. no, I like the other one. So I think that's kind of what she's wrestling with of like, I'm the bachelorette, but I don't have the control that most bachelorettes have had in the past. And really, like, I have to win them over because otherwise maybe they're going to say, no, I want to go to Gabby. Let's talk about the wardrobe choices for Rachel. All right. 
and and the and the the appearance because I've spoken with a couple of guys who are watching the show, uh, recurring guest Shai Elberger, who you have been on with talking about this very topic. Most guys agree that in terms of pure looks, Rachel's the better looking of the two. Um, but there have been some questionable wardrobe choices. I thought the black dress at the rose ceremony, she looked great. I also thought that the dress that Gabby picked was better for Gabby and it made Gabby stand out more. Um, the green dress, when they, she went to visit the house or, or the group, whatever that was, bombshell dress. I thought she looked awesome. That's completely my style. But the red dress on the one-on-one -on -one with Jordan at the dinner part, like they made her look heavy. She's not heavy. No. So um, it's funny because when Katie was the bachelorette, um, there were a lot of people talking about how the producers very obviously must have hated her by the way that they dressed her. Like they picked like the worst outfits because, I mean, I'm sure the bachelorettes have some say, but, you know, you're being presented with the options and then you just have to choose it. So part of me, when I was watching the two of them next to each other, part of me was like, are the producers just trying to tell us that they love Gabby and they hate Rachel? Because that's how I felt like it was so distinctly different how Gabby looked unbelievable and was dressed like perfectly to accentuate all of her positive attributes. And they made Rachel look dumpy. Her Rachel, hair was bad. Her dress was bad. Like her hair like, was, her hair was awful. Yeah. And like she's awful. a beautiful girl and they just didn't make her look good. She's objectively a gorgeous female that somehow maybe it was it was the dress, the camera angle, the the combo of the two. It made her look like she has a spare tire. She does not have a spare tire. Like if I was watching that back, I was her. I'd be furious. Yeah, furious. And, and, and on the other side, they're making Gabby look unbelievable. How does she rebound? How does she rebound? Well, I think she, I think, so I think Gabby's going to be the person that has a lot of guys vying for her, but I think Rachel is going to have a, a select few who really focus in on her and she's just going to focus on those couple of guys. Whereas I think Gabby will have more of a bachelorette vibe. I think she's going to have the bigger cohort of people going after her and she's really going to be choosing. And I think Rachel's going to have a, even with Jordan, you could see like, I think that the type that would go for Rachel are the ones who would be a bit more intense and like laser focused on her, which is what I think she needs. Whereas Gabby is like the jokester, the fun one. I think she's going to have more of like a bachelorette type um, season. It's funny you say that because now, now that you mentioned it, there's a part of me that thinks that Rachel almost has a better chance of ending up with the person that she selects after this because we've all been there. Like a lot of choice sometimes is exhausting and mm -hmm. you can't really differentiate between all the choice that you have. And yeah. maybe this is a good thing for Rachel, but like the the producers of the show, they've got to make her look a little bit better, less frumpy, less desperate. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I think I have to say, like, this is my call and I'm going to stand by it. 
if Rachel doesn't end up with Tino, like I would be shocked. You mean like long-term, like legit long-term? Long-term. Like I think there is no one at the end of this for her other than him. I mean, and I from, can't, from I can't what we've seen it's... now, that how, how can you say otherwise? No, I agree. But I'm saying like, I think there will be people along the way that will be there for Rachel. But I just think like she saw him and she almost like doesn't really care about anyone else. Whereas Gabby, I actually have no idea who she likes. Right. But who, But okay. But even if there was like a runner up to Tino for, for Rachel, like who is it? Who, who, who could you even consider? Like, what's his name? What's his name? Guys. What's oh, the yeah. Both, both, girls, both girls, Logan. But like, I kind of think Logan is very much just, I want to stay in the game. And I think he's going to be like, get like a villain edit. Um, yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised if after this week, Mario went over to the Rachel side. And I can but see. I feel like that's that. only that's just in spite of Gabby not giving him attention, not necessarily no, because Rachel likes. They had like no, they had like a really nice time together this week when they had their whatever whatever time they had together. They like really hit it off, and she had said that she was really interested, but she didn't want to step on her toes. But then, I mean, I don't know. I think it all kind of, to me, the part that was so confusing of of it all was at the end when they did the rose ceremony. And they said, these roses mean that we both want you to stay. I didn't get that. But like, but on the other hand, when Jordan was on the one-on-one, Rachel was able to make like the unilateral decision to say, I want you to go home. Well, I mean, I guess she must have like, no, like how was, she couldn't have consulted with Gabby because Gabby wasn't on the one-on-one. There's no chance. Right. I mean, un- unless the, the concept is, they get to choose who they want for the one-on-ones and then that making that decision says that you then have the sole like job of deciding whether the person's going to stay right. or go like they're both they've discussed that and are both comfortable with it i mean i don't know because again i don't think the producers really thought this through i think they're just making it up as they go so let's talk about the guys now all right i mean we both hope rachel gets a little bit of a better edit i, I can't believe how they made her look in you know appearance wise in this episode like i was aghast at the one-on-one dinner with jordan like aghast um but anyway okay so the guys logan stands out because he kissed both Mm. uh who else really made a name for himself we're gonna leave chris out of it because he'll get his own segment but aside Uh, from chris for all the wrong reasons logan stood out who else do you stood out I think Jason stood out because he had stood out to me from episode one, but I think he stood out this week because he was the first person that made it known to Rachel that he was there for Gabby. Mm-hmm. Um, so he definitely stood out to me. Right. Um, to be honest, not many others. I mean, Jacob, the like Fabio guy um, yeah. stood out. He, like I, it was like cutesy, his, um, on the date with the, when they're wearing, um, Tell you there she goes, yeah. And he like made a joke about like talking about like mortgages or something. It was like yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. But that again, was- I I think he he's just trying to stay alive. Oh, I mean, he's not. I do not think he's making it far at all. Yeah. Um, but I thought like, but I thought he stood out in that sense. Um, to be honest, like no one has really wowed me. I laughed at the meatball guy pouring marinara sauce all over him. Oh, I thought that was really gross. 
I just laughed. I don't know. It made me laugh. I was just like, all right, fine. Like this guy's playing, you know, playing the part. He's leaning into it. I can kind of respect that. Yeah. I mean, I liked, I liked the, um, the last scene after the credits um, with him was cute when they were sitting eating the spaghetti. That was cute. What did we think of Gabby's one-on-one date uh, helicopter with, uh, what's his name? I'm forgetting who it is. Uh, Nate. Nate. I liked him. I liked him. He's he's probably like one of the most sincere people that have ever been on the show. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Like I, yeah. I think he's a major player here now. Yeah, I mean, in preview again, like obviously we know that they edit things a certain way, but in previews it seems like he makes it relatively far. Um, I mean, I I like the fact like he seems to be extremely respectful of women. Um, even the way that he speaks to the other guys, like even when he was involved in the Chris thing, he was saying like, "That's how you're gonna." talk to like the the potential mother of your children like and we know he has a child and like I think he just really has his eye on the prize and he seems actually really wanting to settle down and really serious about it which I think is really nice um and I think with what Gabby has spoken about in the past like with her family situation with her parents I think she's really going to appreciate the fact that he is a very involved father and that's really important to him so I can see him going far I thought he came off great yeah, I thought I I think his you know paperclip style earring is a little weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, I'm not a piercings guy on dudes, but I think overall I thought he he came off really awesome. Yeah, and I thought that there was some definite natural chemistry there, even if the kiss in the hot tub was a little awkward. Okay, whatever. But still, uh, really, I agree. I think we, they got along really well. We let that slide. So let, that that brings us to Chris. All right. Take, the floor is yours. What were your thoughts on the whole Chris saga? The Chris, uh, you know, debacle. So I think Chris kind of, he, it wasn't even showing his true colors. I think he just put his foot in his mouth because to me, I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but to me, he came off as just like a super fan. He came off as someone who knows everything about the show and is so focused on like the steps of the show that that's why he was talking about the fantasy suites. And like, he, like they were saying, he was really just speaking about it like it was a game. And I don't even think that Gabby and Rachel cared about the fact that he was talking about the fantasy suites at this point. I don't think they really cared about that. I think they cared about the fact that what he was saying was the exact thing that they were pissed about from Clayton on last season. So he's just an idiot, honestly. And I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish by having that conversation or that he thought no one was going to tell them about it, but it was just really silly. And then once they sent him home, which I loved everything about them sending him home. And I love the fact that they were still like, they were congratulating each other on how each of them like handled it. It was great. But then the fact that he came back to To what? Try and talk to the guys. Try to talk to the guys. Like, who do you think you are? Like, get out of here. Like, are you not embarrassed enough that you got called out and everyone just sent you home? You're going to come back to what? Like, beat the other guys up? Like, it was just so infantile. My whole thing was, and I'm kind of like you in a sense where I don't think him talking about the fantasy suites was the problem. 
Like it wasn't the topic of conversation that was the problem. Because again, you know, people's feelings are involved here. And you know, you know, sex requires feelings. And and I get it. Like you're in a fishbowl. Like I, I, I completely understand it, even though you know what the show is about, right? My whole thing was like, dude, you're trying way too hard and you're doing way too much. Like, just do less, all right? Like, no one needs you to be a leader of men here. No one cares, all right? Just, like, be a contestant and, like, just stay in your lane. And it's – I just never understand the guys who are just, like, I need to be, like, the leader of men here. Like, no one needs your fucking advice, dude. Like, just – I think he was just being combative for the sake of being combative. Like, like – it, it wasn't like someone like egged on the conversation. Like, I feel like he was just making his opinion known, but no one asked. I will say this. I'm not sure how I feel about the snitching. Yeah. Well, I'll say this in response to that, that just in terms of having watched many, many seasons of this, the people who snitch never make it fun. Never go anywhere, so, right? So it's just silly. Now, again, being in this, trying to put myself in the situation, if I knew information like that and I kept it from the lead and then the lead, like they said, they're like, what would have happened if Gabby and Rachel found out that they all knew that and they didn't tell them? So they're put in a hard place. But I think just from a perspective of playing the game, whatever it is, because at the end of the day, it is kind of a game. I just wouldn't want to be the one that would tell them because I know that puts a negative target on my back, but I get why they would feel compelled to do so. It gives you a little bit of a leg up short term. Yes. Because it's like you, you get some, you know, positive vibes from them. You get some, you know, reinforcements and that's wonderful. But if that's going to be your, your way to distinguish yourself, like it just doesn't work. So, and it's hard to see that in the moment, I guess, when you're going through it, cause you just want to just stay alive, especially in this format, cause there's two and it's completely different, but I, I just, I, I don't know if I would want to be the guy to do it. Just like handle your own business, like put your head down, handle your own business and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing um, that will be their saving grace for this one, one is that it was, very early on. Um, so I think it's not as bad. And also they listened to them right away and got rid of him. Usually the problem with the snitches is that it's people that the bachelor or bachelorette like already. And they don't usually listen to that person off the bat. So then it's back and forth. And then people are like, well, if they're keeping this person around, then, then I don't want to be with them. And it becomes this whole like other narrative. I think in this scenario, it was just like a clean break. So I think those guys might come out unscathed from the snitching, but I agree with you that I would never want to be the one that did that. So what do we expect from the next two to three weeks? Because even though we had the rose ceremony and I was shocked that uh, what's his name from Boston, who yeah, won, I know Ryan, Ryan got sent home. Like I was really surprised by that. Um, what do we expect? Well, what can we expect? Because even with the rose ceremony, like we didn't learn anything new, like the big, the big reveal, or I should say the big storyline was, you know, Chris is a jackass and got sent home. Right. We had two one-on-one dates, one that went well, one that didn't go well. 
besides for hoping that Rachel looks better in coming episodes, like, what are we expecting? What are we hoping for? Like, so the two things that I'm looking for, one is I think now that we've kind of eliminated a, a good number of people, I'm hoping that now we focus on these people and we actually get to know them because I don't think I could tell you anything about any of the guys. And usually by episode two, I have some kind of idea. So I'm hoping that part of this was just to weed people out and now really focus on them. Um, the other thing I want to see is I'm hoping that next week or latest the ne- the week after that, they get to the point where they say, okay, now is when you choose between Rachel and Gabby. And then that's who you're going to follow the rest of the season, because this whole, you're getting a rose from both of us thing is not going to work long-term. And if that's what they think is going to happen, it's not going to go well. So I'm hoping that next week they kind of make a clear, like defining line of saying you pick one or the other, and then that's who you're actually kind of just have like two concurrent seasons. Is Gabby going to face any adversity here? Like, are I, they gonna are they gonna I, make Gabby like? Is she gonna have a tough time at all? So I think so because I think like going back to what we said earlier is that I think Rachel's gonna have a much easier time finding those people to connect with and having deep relationships probably even earlier on. I think Gabby is gonna run into the problem of maybe having people that she's not sure if they're there for the right reasons or more superficial things. Whereas I think Rachel is gonna have people early on that she knows she's taking to the end. I think Gabby's going to have a harder time with that. And I think Gabby's going to have a harder time seeing Rachel like that. Interesting. Well, I'm pulling for Rachel. After the first two episodes, I think they've done her dirty and I yeah. feel bad for her. And so I'm pulling for her. Lizzie, it's fun to jump on again this week. Obviously, we will be monitoring the situation throughout the season. Thanks for uh, hopping on quickly and we'll speak soon. All right. Have a good one. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks again to recurring guest Andrew Sender for coming on to talk about the Yankees' first half of the season and Lizzie Verstandig coming on to talk a little bit more about The Bachelorette. I still don't have super high hopes for this season, but whatever. Maybe I'll be surprised. That's episode 166. For the love of the game, take us out. I got a big stash pocket full of cash. Just seen a big old... Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.